You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am so thrilled to have my friend, Dr. Rebecca Diamond. Um, she is a pediatrician and she's back for episode two. I think it was like a year ago when we talked the first, it's been a really long time. Gosh, time sure flies, doesn't it? Yes. And, and crawls at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's, both, it's both the land where time stands stills and also is flying. Um, and so Rebecca or Dr. Diamond is a pediatrician uh, in New York. She's also a mom. She's a working mom. And I just, um, I loved talking to you a, a while ago. So I'm excited to have you back. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited. So I wanted to jump right in. Um, you know, we're still kind of tragically, unbelievably, like we're still in kind of COVID land. Although obviously since the last time we've talked, there have just been huge strides and we're, you know, adults are getting vaccinated. Even some adolescents are getting vaccinated, but I know, and I know myself as a parent, I, I, I think there are still so many decisions to be made, um, and particularly with, with the vaccine and, and EUAs and everything like that, which is emergency use authorization. So why don't we just start there and tell us, so what's the latest with kids and adolescents in the vaccine? Just what's the latest there? Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I mean, it's it's weird. We are in such a different place than last year, but we're still so ruled by this pandemic. And I, I do think last year, I, I will answer your question, I promise, but I do, <laughs> I do think last year, it was sort of, no, I just like to frame myself because it's like, oh my God, was this really a whole year ago? Yeah. And I think it was, there was this idea that we would just buckle down. It was really scary, but it was kind of like a, you know, a huge global emergency. We would all get through it and then we could sort of just like go back and not have to be constantly talking about this. And what's happened, you know, largely because we didn't all globally and, you know, politically get our act together in a lot of different ways, we're still sort of in it. Right. And we're in a much better place. We're fortunate to be in a country where we're not in the same place that we were last year or the same place other, you know, people are right now even right. because of the vaccine today. Um, so I think it's, it's hard not to have a conversation about what's going on without talking about COVID. And then it's hard not to have a conversation about COVID without talking about vaccines. Right. Um, so let's talk about vaccines because they really are our way out of this. Like yeah. that's kind of it. Our only way out of this and either we do it quickly or slowly, but without a vaccine, this just, this goes on and on and on. And there's really no other way, no matter what, you know, you're seeing or people are telling you it's, it's the only way to make this, this go away and go away in a way that doesn't lead to huge, huge loss of life and livelihood. So, um, why, so why do you phrase it like that? Like, I, I, I appreciate it because I do think, I think people need to hear that, but I'm, I'm interested, like, I think people would want to know, okay, why is a vaccine the only way out? Why? 
Yeah, I mean, so earlier on in the, it was really unclear what was going to happen with COVID. Was this going to be a thing that had such a high mortality and morbidity rate and it sort of went through and everyone was immune and then it was over. Um, but it's, it's been much more insidious than that, I would say. I mean, that obviously would have been worse in so many ways because of the loss of life and, and, and how people, you know, how people would have been affected in the immediate term. But COVID has been a really tricky, tricky virus and it continues right. to evolve. It continues to escape different treatments and medications that we have for it. It continues to become more aggressive in how it's transmitted. So it's not like a lockdown for, you know, there may have been a time where a six week to six month or something lockdown, if we somehow magically got the whole world together to do that, could have right. done it. Mm. Um, but not only are we past that time, we're also just past that point in the virus. The virus is now acting like, like a much trickier virus, like measles or tuberculosis, the kind that really hangs out and hangs around and sits in the air and goes into your lungs and just is really, really kind of sneaky and aggressive. Right. And so the only way to have COVID be either something we don't have anymore, which would be eradication of it, with a very, very strong virus or something that becomes so mild because we have a virus to protect us from really severe disease. The only two ways you can do that at this point are with a vaccine because this virus is just so excited to get rid of all our other defenses. It's, it's really able to evade all of our other strategies that aren't just massive vaccination. Right. I don't know if that answers it and makes sense. Yeah, and I think, I think, you know, people have been really focused on the drugs and the, and the treatments, you know, there was hydroxychloroquine and then there was, um, oh my gosh, what's the malaria one? Um, ivermectin. yes, ivermectin and even steroids, which you wouldn't typically use in this situation. But so I think people are really focused on that thinking that we can somehow avoid this, but in reality, that, I mean, that really is a band-aid, right? Like that, even if we did have a successful treatment, it's not going to be successful for everybody. And it's such a band-aid, right? So, but yeah, I just, I, I agree that vaccination is the only way out. I just want I feel like people would want to know why do people in the medical community think that? Um, but I love, I love the way you explained it. So, so where now that, so that being said, where are, where are general pediatricians now with, so there's an emergency use authorization for ages 12 and above, right? For Pfizer? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And so that's adolescents, it's not young, young kids, but um, I mean, are you encouraging your patients and the parents, are you encouraging them to go ahead and get the vaccine or? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean. Yeah. I think the right word is encourage. I don't convince anyone or coerce anyone. And I, yeah. I know there's a lot of about feeling pressured or feeling like you're having to do something for yourself or your kid. That's never my approach personally or yeah. online or in my profession, but I'm very much um, encouraging and empowering, maybe right. even a better word, parents to say, oh, that is a pretty good choice for my kid. It's actually the best choice for my kid. Um, and like you said, it is related to the fact that we have this FDA emergency youth authorization, um, which I'm happy to break down a little bit more, you know, what that means. And just, yeah. just what we know about the pandemic, as I was saying, um, sometimes we forget to remember that the pandemic is bad for kids. 
Um, yeah. I know it's like a silly thing to say, but we talk a lot about COVID's effect on kids. And I think that's important. I'm obviously a, a hospital pediatrician. I care a lot about kids who get sick, short-term and long-term, and what that means to their bodies and their minds. But the pandemic itself is really causing a ton of damage to kids. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Psychologically, emotionally, socially. And so, like, like I said, you know, the getting out of this pandemic is a benefit directly to your kid. It doesn't even have to be this, like, altruistic I want to do it for society because honestly I'm a mom I don't want I wouldn't do anything for society that might hurt my kid you know I wouldn't put her through anything that's just not what I would do and I'm you know a doctor and I care about public health and all of that but I know that when I you know empower parents and, and kids and teens to get vaccinated what I'm saying is this will directly benefit you this won't harm you um you know in a in a way that is meaningful and I'll talk through what that means and the different risk benefit profiles and it'll get us out of this, which is going to benefit you at the end of the day. In so many ways. Yeah. Virus or not in their actual bodies, but it just benefits them in so many, so many different ways, like you said. And, and do you, when you say, I'm assuming when you empower patients and parents, because you're, you're, particular population of patients, obviously have their parents have to give permission anyway. So, um, is that just with knowledge of like this, the history of the safety of vaccines? Or are you talking specifically about like, I'm sure parents have a lot of questions about the myocarditis risk and, um, yeah, yeah, what all else? Of it. We talk about these things. Um, myocarditis, maybe relation to Miss C, which is something I treated and that's the post COVID inflammatory thing. Right. Um, I feel like I'm teasing all these things so I can just, I can tell you yeah. <laughs> what, you know, what we talk about, I can tell yeah. people that that patients and parents all the time have different reasons for being hesitant to get the vaccine or get it for their kid. I mean, there's so many. Most of them, honestly, are the same as, as you have as an adult. And you see people online and in your life who think they, sometimes it's kind of out of left field, microchips and conspiracy theories. But mostly right. it's just like- It's you know, genuine concern. Lot of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like any parent, you know, even when my husband is like, oh, we're definitely getting it with the, you know, when they authorize it for our kids. And I was like, I don't know. It's just, it's so new. And it, and listen, nobody's more like pro vaccine than I am, but there's still just this weird, you know, parental hesitation of gosh, but it's so new, but, and you almost have to, it's like, talk, talk me through that. Yes, it's new, but yeah. Yes, it's new. Yes, it's new, but it's not that new. It's not as right. new as you think. Right. Um, and it's not newer than other things that we're totally cool with. And a lot of your hesitancy for it being new or untested or unsafe is kind of coming at you very insidiously from bad actors online who are trying to sow seeds of doubt in you. Um, yeah. And all to, all to say that your concerns are valid um and i'm here to you know answer them all but just just know you're coming into this at a little bit of a knowledge disadvantage because as anyone who has friends or has been on social media you're just being inundated with so much information most of it is not true right um a lot of it is made by these like really bad actors these anti-vaccine people who do this for money um and make a ton of money selling supplements fortunes yeah 
Did we talk about Joseph? Wait, I'm now I'm like having a flashback. Did we talk about Joseph Merkola before? Or did we not? I talk about him. I talk about him frequently. I, I'm sure he doesn't talk about me. But, no, no, he does um, not care about us, but we, let, talk yeah. about, let's, okay, talk about Joseph Merkula, and then I'm like, I can't talk about COVID anymore, or I'll just punch myself in the face, even though, no, we still have to talk about schools, but. No, I have to tell, and I also have to, okay, I'm going to get us back on track, which is something that I've never done in my life, but there's a first time for everything. Yeah. So, the thing about Joseph Merkula, and, you know, other people like him, he's one of basically a dozen um, really, really wealthy people who sells these supplements that are essentially just like expensive vitamins that are not regulated, don't really do anything other than act like vitamins, but he markets them as being alternatives to vaccines. And so to sell his products, he needs to tell you why vaccines are really, really bad. Right. And it's a whole machine. There's an anti-vaccine propaganda machine that is well known and is finally with COVID becoming wider known to people, but this existed long before COVID. So oh, yeah. I've been dealing with for a long time. I'm not surprised that even parents who are, you know, pro-vaccine or, or more generally into science and, and scientifically tested things are now having these seeds of doubt sown in them that aren't just the normal, like, oh, I'm not sure, tell me more, but are like, oh, something feels really, really nefarious about a vaccine. Yeah. Because that's this, like, machinery that these people have, I mean, they've had the whole infrastructure they've created um, where they know exactly how to go to parents and say, you know, in so many words, like, but what if it's the vaccines? But what if something terrible happens? Wouldn't it be the vaccines? Wouldn't right. you be worried about it? They have nothing real. They have no science. It's totally, totally predatory. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I, I get it. Um, so once you kind of know that that psychology is out there and that malice is kind of out there, it's it's easier to have a conversation that's less about let's go through and debunk every single myth and lie and yeah. bit of misinformation about a vaccine because honestly that's that's not really that misinformation sort of feeds off of that they they'll just do something that's called moving the goalpost where someone might say oh i think the vaccines cause autoimmune disease and then you'll say well no they don't there's no way they would do that we're not seeing that it doesn't make sense and they'll say oh okay um, I still don't believe you totally, but okay. Okay, but I think actually that the vaccines might have, have themselves cause something else, you know, or they might, I don't know. I can't yeah. even know what the latest incorrect thing is. And so doctors sort of get exhausted and other healthcare providers and scientists, we just sit there playing defense and like spinning our wheels about it. But the reality is there are some things that we want to be on the lookout when we talk about vaccine safety um, and when we compare it to vaccine efficacy, but it's not a lot of that conversation really sidetracks us from it. The, the things I do want parents to be aware of when we talk about vaccine you know, safety and efficacy for kids is that they are following the same testing protocol that we would for any other vaccine or any other medicine. Right. And in fact, the testing protocols we have for vaccines in kids are just so much more rigorous than they are for things like, you know, everyday medicines and antibiotics and even those supplements, I mean, that's not a very fair comparison. Yeah, those aren't even are not tested or regulated <laughs> at all. They're just put them in a bottle and Joseph Arcola right. makes the money. Well, I mean, essentially, yes. And so the vaccines, these poor, sweet, beautiful vaccines over the past 50 plus years have just taken so much heat. Yeah. And all that's happened is that they've just gotten tested and tested more and more and more. And the results are just 
more and more awesome. Yeah. Um, and still like, you know, we still kind of malign them because of that whole machinery. Um, for COVID vaccines, we had a lot of data for adults and young adults before we stepped down into the 12 and older testing. Uh -huh. um, and so the way that, you know, big picture of how you test something that you're gonna do a step down approach to, meaning you're gonna start with a less, you know, vulnerable population like consenting older adults, and then you're gonna step down to children later once you have some good safety data. Um, is that the the numbers that you need in the in the trials for the older people are much higher, and that's really the phase the phase three, which is the you know the real world trials. That's going to be the real hurdle for the adults. But then once you have that data, of course, little kids our kids aren't just little adults, but we can use that data. Yeah, because you know they're still a human body. Right. And so you know, see numbers. You would expect to see numbers that are much lower in terms of the number of participants because we're not looking for the same outcomes. We're not looking for, we don't have the same results we need. We need to look for things like, what's the dose need to be to do an immune response in a child? And, um, you know, are there any new side effects that we hadn't thought about that we can see coming up in the short term? And should we adjust our dosing or our spacing or something based on that? Yeah. Um, so that's one concern I hear is like, well, there haven't been as many kids tested and you're right there haven't um but i would expect that and the number of kids yeah. that were tested um in this age group and they showed such a good immune response and really not any issues um and we'll talk into the rare things that can happen in a moment um it made sense to go ahead with eua because the benefits are so big like we talked about yeah. even if kids are not getting acutely so sick we know that they're drivers of transmission especially with delta we know that there are long-term consequences like MIS-C, which is the post-COVID inflammatory thing that I talked about and other blood vessel changes in kids and long haulers who have COVID and COVID itself right. is a huge cause of myocarditis in young kids. So yeah. just lot, lots of stuff. So, um, so that's the big picture why. Talk about the myocarditis for a second because that is such a um, concern for parents right now because there has been cases of, of myocarditis, which is just inflammation of the heart, um, muscles around the heart after the vaccine. But what I, what's unfortunate is that people aren't being told or, or either they're not being told by the sources they're listening to or whatever, that the risk for myocarditis from COVID to children is like, I don't even know what the percentage is, but significantly higher than the vaccine ever has been. Correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a huge point. So myocarditis, like you said, is an inflammation, you know, of the lining of the heart, the myocardium, which is just the heart has different layers around it, um, different muscles and myo is muscle. And it's sort of the big muscular part of the heart itself. And Myocarditis is something that pediatricians know well. I mean, we've been treating it forever. And usually right. it was caused by, um, it was usually an inflammatory response related to a virus that existed before COVID. Not, it could be a coronavirus, it can be any virus, but usually it was something called like an enterovirus, which is like Coxsackie virus. And the flu is another really common cause of myocarditis. Hmm. Um, but usually, and teens, just young teens, you know, like, teens and young adults are at, you know, really high, are really a prime age group to get myocarditis. So that's usually when you would see it anyway. 
Interesting. Um, I didn't so, know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's just sort of, it's sort of, you know, and it's, it's rare, but it's the thing, for example, for those of you who are kind of like medical nerds or in the medical field, you'll have a kid who comes in with asthma or pneumonia or a cold and their heart rate would, is really high. And it's always like, if my resident doesn't, I'm always like, oh, interesting. You didn't mention myocarditis, which is rare, but it was always even before COVID the thing like, oh, we can't miss this. Let's make sure we're thinking about myocarditis yeah. because yeah. the treatment's different. Um, and it can present by like having trouble breathing and, you know, things and also be related to a virus like the flu. What is the so, treatment? Um, you use anti-inflammatories okay. for it. And okay. You have to be careful about different activities and you'll need a cardiologist to follow you up. Um, but it's, it's not, you know, kids do well. Kids yeah. generally do well with myocarditis. It can be severe. Yeah. It can be severe. What we're seeing is that the cases that happened coincidentally with COVID vaccination have not been severe. And I think that's really an important point too, because I've seen cases of myocarditis from a virus where kids, I'm not saying this to scare anyone, but I have seen kids need heart transplants. Yeah. It's so bad. Yeah. Um, whereas that's not what we're seeing with the COVID vaccine. We're seeing an element of inflammation, you know, and, you know, some level of inflammation of the myocardium. Yeah. That is either from the vaccine itself, or it's a coincidence because a kid had, you know, these kids who got the vaccine also had a virus. It's unclear, but it's happening at a higher rate, you know, not, not a hugely higher rate, but at a slightly higher rate and still very rare yeah. than it was, you know, in kids who weren't getting vaccinated. And the timing of it was kind of right after vaccination when you were having those peak inflammatory symptoms that right. you have when you get a shot. So if you've been following DabbleCo and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, it solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, so it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. And then these um, kids are, it's transient, and they're, they've been fine. Yeah. They've been fine. Yeah. They've been fine. And it's scary. I'm not going to, I would not be a good pediatrician if I sat here and said, oh, myocarditis, who cares? Like, yeah. that's not what yeah. I'm here for. I think it's just another level of, this is tricky stuff, but, but if you look at it big picture wise, I mean, I remember when we first saw Miss C, which is the post COVID inflammatory syndrome last right. fall, no, sorry, last spring. Oh my God. And I just remember being like, Oh my God, COVID can affect kids and it can affect their heart. And yeah. Miss C is really can be notoriously scary for in terms of the damage it can do to the heart. And I, was actually able to do some research and writing on that when it first came to New York. So trust me when I say I have treated it, I've seen it, I've written in there. reports in on there. it. Yeah. You know? um, so yeah, so this is, 
this is again, you know, it's a something that I'm really glad we noticed it when we did. There was a pause and there was a review and it was pretty unanimously decided that the benefits continue to outweigh the risks. Yeah. Um, and I always tell parents like, this is what we saw. This is what the data is showing. This is why I still recommend it. Um, because to me, it's, it's still clear the benefits greatly, greatly outweigh the risks. And so just to keep talking about kids and, and just the benefits and they've got to, we've got to try to get them back to normal. What, um, what do you say to parents? So, so kids, I think everybody pretty much at this point's agree point agrees that kids like they've got to get back to school. Right. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. but I know, you know, I, I know there's so many different ends of the spectrum with, with parents and with kids. And I, I know there are some parents who just feel like it's totally fine. This is going to be great. Get them back. There's people in the middle who are, you know, nervous, but excited. And then I know there are people who are really fearful to get their, to, to get their kids back, but they know it's really important and they have to. So what do you, what are your thoughts on back to school this fall? What do you think that's going to look like? And what are, you know, what are you saying to parents who are really nervous and their kids aren't old enough to get vaccinated yet? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in that camp too myself. I'm definitely excited um, and I know intellectually it's the right thing to do and that my daughter definitely needs it. And, right. you know, I guess need, need is a strong word at her age. She's still a toddler, but, you know, it still would be tremendously beneficial. Um, right. So, but, but I'm nervous. I mean, I still have a lot of trauma and anxiety related to what's happening. And it certainly doesn't help when half the world or at least the very vocal half of the world seems intent on convincing you that nothing happened and that there's no risk. Yeah. And so you want to sort of more maturely process and say, okay, I'm accepting this risk. Let's, let's face that. But then you have a bunch of people telling you your anxiety is, you know, is irrational or, you, you know, you can't process the way you're processing. So I, I really get it. Um, all to say, I'm really just trying to approach this, like, and help, help parents approach this, like you would any other parenting decision. I mean, before COVID came around, you know, there, you could be scared all day, every day, if you wanted to be. And yeah, yeah <laughs> there's always something, right? I've certainly been my life. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there, I've certainly, parenting is horrifying. Yeah. Like, if you <laughs> yes. sat there, <laughs> for so many reasons, but <laughs> if I sat there all day and was like, what are all the risk benefits of every decision in sending my daughter out of the house versus the risk benefits of standing right. and, and staring at her for 12 hours until she falls asleep? I mean... Yeah you would be insane. You would truly drive yourself crazy. Um, but you were doing it. I mean, people were maybe not being polite or making it easy before, or maybe people were guilting and judging you before, you know, that definitely has not been invented by COVID. Yeah. I think it's just been amped up because everyone seems to feel like they have the ability to tell you what to do with your kids these days, especially as it relates to the pandemic. But you were doing it. I was doing it too. I mean, sometimes I was making better decisions than others and more confident than others. I think um, the so flu like is a really good example of that too. You know, is mm -hmm. we've heard the argument a million times about, especially for kids, that the flu is a bigger deal. Well, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I mean, the flu so far kills more kids per year. I totally agree. It, it can be a huge deal for kids. And so I think that's where we come in and say, yes, the flu is a big deal. It's always been a big deal. And the, every single year we make it mm -hmm. a big deal in the medical community, but somehow 
I, I don't know if it's just the sheer number of people that get the flu or, you know, the, you, so, so many people get it. That means so many people recover, but it, it is a big deal. I mean, RSV is a big deal and there's, there are really mm-hmm. so many of these viruses that are a big deal, but they've been around for long enough that we've just kind of had to, to move on. But I know, I mean, and people that know my husband will just like die laughing, but I mean, listen, he's been doing all these things for years because he was hospitalized after the flu one time. And so now flu season way before COVID, he's so vigilant about hand washing. I mean, Mm -hmm. to the Mm -hmm. point of borderline lunacy, like we don't put Mm -hmm. our kids in the church nursery. When we had a newborn, we took our toddler out of school for several months during flu season. And Mm -hmm. so it's hard. I I think it's hard for me because I'm like, yeah, this, these things have always been big risks and it's, it's not just about COVID. It's, it's about why are we not hand washing every, every day at school, multiple times a day in the winter? I think it's, it's the big, I think that's perfect comparison. And I'm going to dive into my own, you know, neurotic mom flu story as well too. Cause I have a good, please do. I think, I think what we're saying is that yes, this is, it's, it's not easy. It's not like there's a right answer. And I understand all the the stress related to it, but people who are coming at parents saying, okay, you can't live in fear. You just have to go back to normal and ignore COVID and ignore everything. Or people who are saying, you know, this is COVID is the only thing out there and we have to sit in our houses until everything's eradicated. I mean, neither of those really makes any sense because even before COVID, we were doing, you know, people who were watching the science and sort of parenting as best they could based on it, we're making these decisions every day that we're just balancing risks and benefits and deciding, are there some basic things I can do to mitigate risk that aren't going to interfere with the benefits of taking risks? You know, everything is that balance. And so I was a resident in pediatrics when my daughter was born and we lived a plane ride away from family. And she was born in like the depths of winter during probably the worst flu outbreak that we had had in a long time. It may have been one of the worst nationally and there was the highest rates of fatalities of children we had seen. Gosh. And my daughter, when she was born, she couldn't get vaccinated until she was you know, six months six old. Months, right. And I, of course, had had my flu shot and was, had given her some antibodies and was breastfeeding and doing what I could to protect her. But I really wanted to go see my family. Like, I can't tell you how much I wanted to. I had a really rough postpartum experience. I had um, some really challenging family stuff going on at home. And, you know, my grandmother was very sick and there was just a lot going on for me. Plus I was just trying to finish a residency. So no big deal. Um, but but I, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> whatever. But I decided that I was not going to fly with her until flu season was over. I just made that choice. And if you looked under that with the COVID lens now about like, oh, you won't fly with your unvaccinated kid for a vacation or, oh, you won't just like, I'm sure people could have looked at me at that point and judged me. No one dared. And generally, you know, people have trouble, you know, judging me when I come at them with a strong stance, I'm pretty aggressive. But I, you know, that like, (laughs) like I'm saying that year, I had seen two children die of the flu in the hospital yeah. and the year before another one. And it's yeah. just like, I didn't, I didn't see the point in taking that risk. It didn't make sense to me. Yeah. I didn't go outdoors to areas with her. We had very limited visitors who came 
also related to RSV and other, you know, other preventable things and other contagious things. So all to say we were doing this, this, and you were probably doing this parents without realizing it. Right. You know, before it came and, and sucked out of, you know, sucked all the air out of the room or whatever, you know, took all the conversation energy. Right. I mean, it's funny too, because so, so COVID has killed several hundred children. The flu kills several hundred children annually. And then, but then I think mm-hmm. about what was it? The, um, like there's like the Fisher price rock and play and like mm-hmm. a, the Peloton treadmill where there's been mm-hmm. rock and play was what, like eight to 10 deaths. I think the treadmill was yeah. like one or two deaths and we're like off the market never again, you know, and which, which I get because people are like, well, they're preventable. This isn't the thing we have to do. Yeah. Oh my God, why is this different? Like this thing kills several hundred children every year. And we're arguing about whether it's a big deal or not. I'm just like, where, how, but this does not make sense. That's not right. That's, that's not the point. That's a distractor argument. That's a detractor argument. You know, the point is not are bad things bad. Like that's not the conversation we need to have. The point are right. What measures are worth taking to prevent certain bad things from happening, you know, at what point do they cause more risk than reward? Right. You know, that is, that's the goal of public health. Your job as a parent is not to decide the public health of, you know, all the children of our nation. So you may see messages that are like, well, you know, we don't need universal COVID vaccination for kids worldwide because other people should be prioritized or this, that, or the other thing. But your job is not to navigate public health. That's all. That's what happens in terms of policy decisions yeah. And, yeah. and framework for what you work within. But once you're within the system that you're within, um, you have to just sort of instinctively almost, I mean, you can, you reflect on the data, you reflect on the information, but you look at each situation and you say, this seems like a situation I am quite comfortable with and the risk seems to be outweighed by the reward because random example, but for me, I, I'm going to the beach with family. People are far away. My daughter doesn't need a mask in the hot sun. This seems very low risk. I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. Versus maybe you're somewhere else where it's a big crowded outdoor place and no one's really wearing masks, but you just feel like, oh, this, this is crowded. And I know that's higher risk and it's not oppressively hot out. That's why we're able to stay outside. And so when I went to the fair with my daughter the other day, it, you know, we said, okay, we're going to enter this crowded place. We'll put on our masks. We'll hang out here for a little bit and then we'll take them off when we leave. And she was sort of like, okay. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't this huge deal. And for me, it, it's what felt right yeah. based on all the data that I had. I didn't worry about if people were going to give me flack for putting a mask on my child because that's really their problem if they do. Yeah. And I did what I was comfortable with. There was no there's no intrinsic benefit or intrinsic risk really to anything. It's all about how they compare, you know, with each other. So th- talking about risk reward and going back to school too, are there, people ask about supplements, Lord help me all day, every day. And <laughs> so are there any specific things that you do recommend? I mean, I, there's, we don't have enough time in the day to talk about what we, you don't need, but what are some things that if, if, if a parent just really wants to, because there are so many parents that just want to give their kids just something and, and boosting the immune system is not really like a term or thing. It's not really like a correct way to say it, but 
you know, there are certain benefits to say zinc or vitamin C. So are there any things that you, you do recommend like that from when parents ask? Yeah, I, I do. I, I usually say that you can do what makes you feel comfortable. And if there's like a well-regulated supplement, which is hard to find, I know, but if there's some sort of pretty reputable, that reputable brand of, of some multivitamin that you would like to do, you're welcome to right. do that. Um, yeah. I definitely recommend talking to your pediatrician because this, this idea that we're all, you know, there's some sort of nutritional deficiency or some sort of immune supplement deficiency is not really true. And kids who are growing and developing well, Right. And when I say eating a balanced diet, I don't mean like vegetables. I mean like cereal is fortified in vitamin C. And cereal, like that. bread and is fortified. Like everything is fortified. Yeah. We live in America. It's all fortified with vitamins. Right. right. And, and the reality is we don't see vitamin deficiencies in kids unless they have a really, really, really restrictive pathological problem with eating and they're not growing right. or they have some sort of other disease that's causing them not to absorb vitamins. Okay. Um, but but malnutrition is not, you know, very fortunately, it's something we don't see and vitamin and mineral deficiencies right. is not something we see either. And there really is not any data to show, especially in kids, but really even in adults, that sort of getting these higher levels of vitamins beyond what the body needs has any actual benefit other than, as doctors love to say, making your pee really expensive. Totally. You know, pee most of um, So I'm not a huge fan of it because there's the the risk that you're giving something that's unregulated. And you talked about the rock and play recall from um, Fisher Price, but there was, there've been similar recalls from like unregulated supplements and teething products from brands like Highland who had you know, oh, wow. 10 deaths. Wow. Yeah, they're, um, they ha yeah, people, sometimes these things slip under the rugs, but Highlands does um, these homeopathic unregulated supplements. Right. Mm -hmm. um, they're one of my many unfavored brands and they, <laughs> they put something called Bell they put belladonna in their um in their teething drop which you know is supposed okay. to be at homeopathic drops doses that that don't exist but it was enough to get absorbed in the gums of these babies right. and 10 babies passed away Ten were killed and babies were killed oh. um yeah highlands is still out there though wow they, yeah um and that was, yeah, belladonna is a plant that gardeners might know as being very poisonous and doctors might know as being very poisonous as well because we use it in, in our cardiac medications. It's so interesting. Um, so I did a podcast last week with a, a sleep psychologist and we were talking about melatonin, which is an unregulated mm -hmm. over-the-counter supplement. And she told me that all of this testing is showing, there's like random levels of serotonin in the melatonin, yeah. which is... Like serotonin, for those of you guys who don't know, I mean, what? What? I was like, how is there this other drug in this supplement? And she's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just very commonplace. We just don't know. And so I, I don't think the message is clear enough to parents that supplements and anything you get over the counter like that, maybe they come from an awesome, reputable company that is doing the absolute right thing and, and testing them. Mm -hmm. However, you, we don't know because there is no FDA reg, you know, regulation of supplements. They're considered a food product, which is like old legislation from like the 70s or some, some massive loophole from the 70s or 80s. And there, 
somehow have been marketed so well to be risk-free and that is just mm -hmm. wildly inaccurate. It's not true. You should not assume that a supplement is just because it's a supplement, it's natural, it's organic, whatever buzzword you want to use. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it's without risk. It doesn't mean that it's without side effects. I mean, I, and I don't know how this message got marketed to parents. I mean, really in just humans in general, but it, it really bothers me more with parents because I know it's one thing when you're doing something for yourself, but I know, I mean, it, every parent is really trying to do the best that they can for their kids. And you know that they're, they think they're doing it out of love and protection when really you could be putting your child at, at risk for. No, I have, I have no judgment for parents. I, right. you know, I would have been duped too. And I have some heartbreaking stories to share when I finally had that aha moment with parents when we realized, oh my goodness, did you know that there's caffeine in that natural ADHD medication and a little bit of lithium in one of them? This poor sweet kid was being Good given Lord. caffeine and lithium. I know. And I was like, well, I don't think that we decided your kid doesn't really even need Adderall, you know, a, a regulated safe stimulant. Why would we be giving high doses of caffeine with some lithium in it? That doesn't make sense. And mm. it was sort of these moments where we say, yeah, I agree. They don't need a medicine, but a supplement or something natural is different. And that's very, you know, for lack of a better word, that's very natural. This is an evolutionary thing we have. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't mention the naturalistic fallacy, my favorite thing in the world Love to it. talk about, but you introduced me to the naturalistic fallacy. And I was like, I just, I love it. <laughs> It just like make, once you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, I do that because we're supposed to, like we have evolved to think that things that come from nature are better than things that feel synthetic or somehow artificial because generally that's been true. Like that makes a lot of sense. And so we tend to think that they have some sort of health or moral value to them right, right. when the reality is we didn't evolve in, you know, evolve in a time where we have all this awesome modern medical technology. And also, you know, half of our medicines that we're taking every day are derived from the same plants that are in these supplements. They're just that, you know, fine yeah. change doses. Um, your body really doesn't care if the atoms come from a lab or come from you a know, plant. your garden. Right. No, yeah. they, no, they sure don't. I mean, I would say to parents, you need to think of supplements as, as a medication, like just because mm -hmm, you can mm -hmm. buy them in, the, in a, uh, a health store. I mean, you need to be thinking that I'm giving my child, a, 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 this is a medication. Um, yeah. Just, just as much as, as anything else is, but man. Um, well, Dr. Diamond, as always, this has been awesome. I love talking to you. You're so easy to talk to, and I, I love the way you explain things. Um, so where can, where can parents find you um, on the interwebs? Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to come back and stalk you very quickly and force you to do this again. This is always like the highlight I know. of the week. I'm kind of sad it's been such a long time. Like, please, don't let, don't let us go so long. <laughs> yeah, get ready. Um, so I live on Instagram, both okay. metaphorically and sometimes quite literally. And I am at parent like a pediatrician. So mm -hmm. like the word parent like a pediatrician. Um, that's where I'm most active. So please come find me, send me a DM. I also in, in my very exciting news am finishing up a manuscript for a book. Yes. Um, that is called parent. 
Tricia. And so please make sure to stay tuned because I would love to get you kind of a one-stop shop of yeah. just a more reasonable scientific approach to parenting that we can hopefully use for that first year of life and not be as stressed as we all undoubtedly are right now. So right. all to say, stay tuned. Um, Instagram is the best place to find me for now. And I will look out for everyone. Awesome. Well, guys, as always, if you liked the podcast, please rate it, share, subscribe, send it to your friends. That's how people find us. And that's how we get awesome guests. And thank you so much. I will talk to you next week.